You're listening to the Sphere Now ESG podcast on Spark, Sphere's safety, sustainability, and productivity thought leadership website. Sphere is the leading provider of ESG performance and risk management software, data, and consulting services. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Sphere Now ESG podcast, a program focused on safety, sustainability, and productivity topics. I'm Lisa Farrar, Sphere's chief marketing officer. In recognition of the UN's International Day of Women and Girls in Science on February 11, 2023, we're celebrating the contributions of women in science, technology, engineering, and math, or STEM. The International Day of Women and Girls in Science was established in 2015 by the UN General Assembly and highlights the importance of achieving gender equality in STEM, as well as achieving full and equal access to and participation in STEM for women and girls. We've assembled a thought-provoking panel of accomplished women in STEM to discuss the impact of women in their fields and how to get more women and girls involved in STEM and more. Before we get started, I'd like to invite our panelists to introduce themselves. Let's start off, Susan Brennan, would you mind introducing yourself? Thank you, Lisa. I'm Susan Brennan, and I have been a proponent of women and girls in STEM for my entire career, including being an advocate for myself. And I've spent 25 years in the U.S. auto industry and global auto industry, and that's where I met Lisa. I was the COO at Bloom Energy and then the former CEO of Romeo Power, which was a heavy-duty battery for commercial vehicles and marine and off-highway. So I've spent my career in tech and have been the sponsor of many women, you know, back in the day, I think they're called resource groups now, but bringing women together in the workplace to both support women and also give back to those. I've been in the workplace a long time and there were many trailblazers who helped blaze the trail for me. And I'm, I'm grateful to be able to give back to the women who were before me. Thank you, Susan. And to your point, I have felt the benefit of the resource groups that Susan has stood up at not only at Nissan, but also back in Tennessee, where we facilitated a large Girls in Science Day in Middle Tennessee. So uh, thank you, Susan. Excited to have you here. I've got Julia Gurke. And Julia is a colleague of mine here at Sphera. Would you mind introducing yourself to our team? Yes, sure, Lisa. Hello, everyone, and thank you for inviting me to this podcast. So my name is Julia Görke. I'm a consulting director at Sphera, based in Germany in the Sphera Stuttgart office. I'm a chemical engineer and started my career 30 years ago. My first job was in a waste management company. I was responsible for the coordination of the collection and sorting and transportation of hazardous waste. At that time, I was the only woman among 20 truck drivers and my boss. We had great working atmosphere and they were all very nice to me as a young engineer starting out in my career. In 1998, I changed my job. I started as a project engineer in a testing and research institute. And here my focus was on recycling technologies for floor coverings and life cycle assessment. My work experience in LCA was the reason why Sphera hired me in 2011. I started on the building and construction team. Back then we were only women and today I'm the building and construction team lead. Maybe a few words about my personal background. At home, I have a bit of STEM 
So my husband is a mathematician and my son is studying math. <laughs> I'd say that's enough STEM people in one family. And I'm glad that my younger son applied to become a physical therapist. Thank you, Julia. And Julia, as I mentioned, a colleague of mine here at Spira, you not only practice what you do in terms of life cycle assessments here at Spira during the day, but you also serve on a number of organizations that help craft the regulation and industry standards for like total carbon emissions. So is there anything, any shout out? I feel you're a little humble there in your introduction. You want to share that anecdote? Yeah, so I'm leading one of the European standardization bodies for sustainable buildings. I'm called the convener of one of the technical committees. So this is an additional role that I have. Thank you. And last but certainly not least, Gayatri Shinoy of Cars.com. Gayatri and I had the pleasure of working together in many different tech projects while I was over at Cars. But Gayatri, tell me what you're up to. Share a little bit about your experience and your background in STEM. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Hi, everyone. I'm Gayatri Shanoi. I'm the Director of Software Engineering at Cars.com. I primarily run the Salesforce CRM practice for Cars.com. I've been in the technology industry for about 18, 19 years now, kind of dating myself, I guess. I started my career in traditional project management. I have a background in computer engineering. And I guess pretty early on in my career, just you know, just loved everything about technology, running mid-sized projects, large-scale implementations. I moved into agile practices, agile coaching, always had a passion for building like high-performing teams, mentorship. I was the chairperson for our Women in Leadership ERG at CARS for two years in a row. And that was a wonderful experience, which taught me how to lead, how to serve, and just stay very close to just women's issues navigating corporate ladder. On the personal front, I'm a mom. I have a two and a half year old, very active little boy. And I think he's showing all the signs of STEM mm -hmm. because he's like breaking everything in our house and just tearing everything apart. You know, my other passions, it includes like travel and health and fitness, and real estate. Technology is at the forefront of pretty much everything. Thank you, Gayatri. With that, Susan, I don't want your children to feel left out. Do you want to mention your children? I have two children that I'm very proud of. I have two daughters. One lives in Campbell, California, and is fully launched and out on her own. And the other one is a junior at uh, Parsons Paris and is doing a study abroad in the U.S. So uh, she'll be she'll be graduating soon. And both of them were heavily into robotics. So I guess a shout out for first robotics and best robotics in, in middle Tennessee and the opportunities for young people. And I hope either the parents of young girls, or if there's young girls listening to this and they are interested in STEM, look uh, into those different robotics opportunities, both first and, and best that I'm aware of. I think there's also VEX, but you can do marketing in those too. All of those teams have marketing managers. And, and just a side note, my daughter, my youngest went to an all girls school. So girls ran the entire team. So they did all of the pieces. So it's even more exciting, I think, to have an all-girls team. So just a shout out. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for your introductions and for joining me on today's podcast. With those introductions out of the way, let's jump into our first question, which I will direct to all of our panelists. Over the course of your career, how have you seen the impact of women in your field change? And how do you expect or hope to see it change in the future? 
I'm going to start with Susan again for question one. Thank you, Lisa. The impact I've had, and, and Julia mentioned it in her first role, the positive, and, and then I'll say the opportunity is I was early in my career the only woman in the room, and I think many of us have had that experience. And as I've been in the workforce now for over 30 years, I've seen more women in the places, you know, more women in the meetings, more women in leadership. But I still, as late as, you know, 10 years ago when I left the auto industry, there were still meetings where I was the only woman in the room. So I look forward to all of the industries. So when I got into tech and got into energy and into batteries, I see many, many more women. So I'm looking to see more women in all the verticals. And those that are leading, uh, I'm excited by. For the future women in particular, the science says when you can see it, you can be it. And I'm really looking forward to seeing a really big wave of young people, especially young women coming into the STEM field, because I just I personally see many, many more women on social media in places where young people pay attention as leaders in these fields. Or they don't have to necessarily be leaders, but as participants in the field. Thank you, Susan. Given Susan's response just now, of you can't be what you can't see. May I flip this over to you, Gayatri, of you are an engineering leader of many teams. So over the course of your career, how have you seen the impact in your field change? How would you expect or hope for it to change in the future? Yeah, I think similar to what Susan was saying, you know, I don't know, I would say about 10 years back, somehow if you looked around the room, there were still maybe like two women who would be there in the room for every like 10 male colleagues. Initially, it just, it, you know, you don't think about it as much, but as you're trying to grow, you start to see that, okay, we need more voices. We need more representation. So I do feel that we have been taking a lot of steps in the industry itself. Women in tech, the numbers are getting better. But if you see like, just like statistics from like last year, the percentage of women in large tech companies, it's still at around 25%. It's about two, two and a half percent increase from prior years. I mean, it seems small, but it's still in the right direction. However, if you see like women in leadership roles in tech, it's still less than 20%. There's still not enough equal voices, probably even less for women of color, minority groups. So I just feel like in general, there's a lot of work to still be done in this industry, though I'm pretty proud to see that the right strides are being made and that improvements have taken place. Absolutely. Thank you, Gayatri. And over to you, Julia. How about you? Over the course of your career, how have you seen the impact of women in your field change? I see an increase, though there are a larger number of women now in STEM, except in my first job in this waste management company where I was the only woman, I always work together with women. So laboratories, for instance, there are very often women working in laboratories. But in preparation of this podcast, I also had a look at the statistics. And it's really astonishing that only for Germany, that only 10% in engineering are women. So I think there is still something that we need to do and maybe to motivate and promote the STEM because at the end, I'm pretty sure that young boys and girls have the same skills in terms of mathematics or science, and it's just bringing the girls into STEM profession. Susan added that one of the benefits to the robotics team that her younger daughter participated in was the fact that she went to an all-girls program. Knowing that that's not in everyone's you know, life or their school situation, et cetera, what do you think will be one of the most effective ways to get 
more girls and women involved in STEM in the future? I think that if you want to change perceptions about a career, I mean, first of all, people need to know that it exists and they need to understand what it's all about. So I think we really need more programs to teach younger girls. Like if you're talking about tech, somehow there's this perception that tech is only like programming related, right? Which it's not. There's so much in the world of tech. So product development, marketing, testing, anything. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we just need to really encourage and push for not just training like young girls in schools, but more the teachers and the administrators. I think and if they are taught about providing more encouragement and exposure to STEM equally for boys and girls from a young age, I think that will give the girls all the confidence they need. You know, somewhere along the way, there are a lot of myths about it, that it's it's only very competitive, it's only for grade A students, and none of that is really true. So I think it's just about constantly providing that exposure, which I feel will help get girls more involved. A lot of companies are doing internships, apprenticeships, right, to attract more female talent. And like I was saying, like STEM has this perception of being a very competitive field, and it's only for like the toughest candidates. But actually, if you see, STEM is all about experimenting, patience, dedication. You have to put in long hours, due diligence. None of these are any gender-specific traits. As long as you're willing to put in the work, STEM could be the right career path for you. So I think that the more that we encourage at starting at a very young age, that will, I think, open up more doors for, especially for younger girls in STEM. I agree. I think the young age is pivotal of just exposing them and what is it now? I, it's like at age eight or nine, sadly, girls become more aware of social norms, et cetera. I mean, does anyone, Julia or Susan, have you seen that shift where maybe one of your, either your daughters or your colleagues or someone where, where girls have like become resigned and then are not as encouraged to go further in, in a STEM field at a very young age? And do you have any additional thoughts to add to what Gayatri just shared about effective ways to get more women and girls involved in STEM. Yeah, Lisa, I'll just add the Southern Automotive Women's Forum, which you're a member of, that we started in the South, which I can't believe it's been 14 years now. It's a whole organization, just simple explanation. It's for professional development of women and to support girls in STEM. And the signature program we do is called All Girls Auto Know, A-U-T-O, No, And it's, it's specifically focused on middle school girls. And early on, and we had professors from MTSU on the board, we've, we've had a, a lot of different input, but the data and the research shows, as, as we just were describing, that by the time a girl comes out of middle school, the chance, if she's not convinced that she can go into a STEM field, the likelihood is exceptionally low that she will go into a STEM field. So you really have to get the hearts and minds early. And so the organization that we do is, it's a volunteer organization is focused very, very heavily on middle school girls because that's what the data and that's what my personal experience shows. The, the robotics teams, if there's a, a, a school that has a middle school team and a high school team, it, the, if the high schoolers had not started in middle school, they usually drop out of the team. So I've, I've seen it personally and it's really important. I think everybody wants to try to solve very complex equations, but I think in this case, it's really important to have the data and then focus the resources on where the most impact will be. And at least my experience has been with middle school girls. 
the time and the use is very important. So if the next generation is not encouraged and motivated and has no role models, then it's like in sports. So we can't expect gold medals at the Olympics if we are not focusing on the younger generation. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was saying that even like if your if your teachers and administrators are not properly equipped to actually okay, let's consciously provide more exposure equally to boys and girls and keep providing that encouragement. I think that's a missed opportunity at that very tender age, right when they're in middle school and things like that. Julia. I've got my next question I've got ready for you is what role have other women in STEM played in your career? You mentioned a, a few moments ago that you always associated with women. Oftentimes women are in the laboratory environment, et cetera. I'm sure that was just one case in point. Tell us about more. For me, it was like this. I went to a girls high school, gender differentiation in STEM subjects. So our math class, for instance, had 20 students and we had a female math teacher and a female chemistry teacher. Even back then, these teachers were happy if you had a technical career aspiration. And at school, there were also working groups with excursions to savage treatment plants or large-scale research facilities located nearby. So maybe it was this surrounding and environment and the teachers who were role models for me in my career choice. Additionally, at that time, my sister was already studying in Berlin, surveying engineering. So for me, it was pretty normal that women can study in STEM. Later, I worked in teams where it didn't matter whether they were a woman or a man. And over the past 30 years, I've had great bosses and mentors, both women and men. Maybe to sum it up, my opinion, it is important to have role models in youth. So in the work environment, my opinion is that a good mix of men and women makes a team successful. And I see this every day in my team and here at Sphera. But I think it's important to have some role models when you are young. Absolutely. Thank you, Julia. Would Gayatri or Susan, would anyone like to bolt on to that of just roles women in STEM have played in your career? To play on what Julia is saying, I found the most important role that I can play and that has been played for me is being a sponsor. There's a lot of focus on mentorship, and I won't discount mentorship. I'm actually a mentor for WRISE, but this, the need for women to be in the room where it happens, you know, to, to quote mm -hmm. the, the Hamilton phrase, is exceptionally important. And when you get women in the personnel committees and the development committees, I've seen, because I've experienced it personally, being able to to change outcomes because I was in the room. So I think my personal opinion is the role of sponsors and being a sponsor. If you're a woman, and particularly for me, because I'm at a, you know at a different point in my career, I'm I'm at the you know the trailing end of my career. As I phase out or move on, I want to make sure that I'm an advocate for the role of sponsors. So women who are in the workforce today. We have to take care of each other and women have to support other women. And it's really, really important that you're a sponsor. And if there are stereotypes such as, well, we shouldn't consider her for this role because she just had a baby, let her turn it down. Those things need to be, if the person is the right person for the job, let that person make their own life decision. So it's kind of the X, Y, and Z axis. The Z axis is the person making their own personal decision. But if the data says this is the right person for the job, give them that opportunity and then don't punish them if they say, no, this isn't the right time for it, don't then push them aside, make sure that they stay elevated. But I just want to put a plug in for sponsorship. I really think Absolutely. it's the difference between success and failure. 
So Susan and Gayatri, I have this question teed up for you. What is one of the best pieces of advice you've received for pursuing a career in STEM? What advice would you give to other women? So Gayatri, do you mind if we start with you? So one of the best pieces of advice I got at a pretty young age was actually from my dad. And he just said, be open-minded, right? Give everything a try before you decide it's not for you. Because I was at that age where I'm like, oh, I don't know. What do I want to do? What do I like? I'm not sure. And he was just like, be open-minded. And that just somehow stuck with me. I've passed that advice down to other girls and other women as well at work. It's just like, just be open-minded. Try it out. If nothing, you will at least know this is not for me. You make a whole list of things that you don't like. But if you don't try, you're just never going to know. I think that's kind of like gotten me through a lot of different career moves and risk taking as well. Just, you know, being open minded. And another one more thing which always stuck with me was don't be afraid to fail, right? If you're not going to try, you don't know if you're going to succeed, you may fail. It's okay. Everyone is going to go through this at some point of time. So you just kind of keep taking action, learning from it, and building that confidence over and over based on your learnings. I think that's just something that's worked for me. And it's something that I always like to pass on to other colleagues or girls if they ask for advice. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of trial and error and failing fast in science in general, or even in marketing as we're deploying a campaign. Oftentimes, we only discuss success. Can we go a little deeper on this one? Can you describe, and if you're comfortable, feel like feel free to share a time when you failed. How did you pick yourself back up? Did anyone help you? Did they give you encouragement? Just share one of those moments. Absolutely. Actually, this is so recent. This has happened, I mean, just last year. A project I was working on that did not go the way we intended it to go with all best efforts, hardest work, you know, lots of hours behind it. But it just wasn't received the way we intended it to, right? The results were not there. It's easy to get sucked in by something like that as, oh my gosh, what do you mean this project is not a success? It's a failure. And then you start to associate yourself with that. I think it, you know, definitely took a lot of learning, observation around it. What can I take away from this situation? What would I do differently if I had the chance? What would I do differently if I could start all over again? So once you start to get into that growth mindset, you realize this is just a learning and a stepping stone in the right direction. I've learned from it. I've come out the other side. There's some things that went really well. It's easy to repeat those. But I think that just stopping getting out of that little bit of a pity party for a while and then realizing that, okay, there's there's so many learnings here. It just makes you a stronger leader, makes you a stronger mm-hmm. at what you do. Failure is not something to be afraid of. Not taking action is what you should be afraid of. You want to mm-hmm. make sure you try, fail, and learn from it. Absolutely. Exactly. Thank you, Gayatri. Thank you for sharing that moment. How about you, Susan? What is one of the best pieces of advice you've gotten for pursuing a career in STEM? And what advice would you give to other women? So I have to set the context because I I think about this often. When I graduated from high school, the world I came into, women could be secretaries, nurses, or teachers. So I was very different, especially in the 70s, going through middle school and high school. I was outside of the norm. And if you do think about secretary nurses and teachers, they need to know science and math. So it, it was kind of a unintended way of, of getting women into uh, 
into the into the STEM fields. But the I would say the advice that I had was more almost in, in an opposite way. My children and, and the, the people we're talking here, I grew up in a steel town. I grew up in a blue collar town where it's not good for the economy and not good for the community, but people push you if you show an aptitude and push you and want you to move on. So I, I kind of had this invisible force that pushed me through my middle school and high school and into college to study. I wanted to be a genetic engineer, which was something completely out of the norm for the world that that I lived in and, and the people I knew. So the best advice I probably got was I had many people say, because I grew up in a, in a mill town, become an engineer, get something that has a certificate like a professional engineer. So that was kind of the advice for someone who wasn't going to follow the traditional career path was, okay, so you're not going to follow a traditional career path, but rather than going into this genetics, you know, science thing, go be an engineer and go get a professional engineering certificate. So even though I didn't take that, that path, I still think that that's not a bad way to, to give advice to people is to, is to, if you're going to follow your passion, try to also follow it in a way where there are career almost oases. So as the world is changing and, you know, it's very tumultuous where you, where you have known places that you can, you know, there will always be a place for professional engineers. There'll always be a place Mm -hmm. for for certain kind of careers. So I think it's an, and discussion, follow your passion in in STEM, but think along the way, are there, are there certificates you can get or or things that you can get like a a PM certificate or a certified supply chain professional, something like that, that, that gives you a little extra cushion in, in uncertain times. So this has really been kind of my path and, and this invisible force path. My dad died when I was five of a congenital heart condition. So, and my brain thinks in patterns and thinks in problem solving. Okay. So how do I take that and, and apply it today? How does it become, become relevant for today? I, I think the most important thing is, you know, what you do well, and you should do what you do well. And and you know how you think and you know what drives you. But I had a huge passion because of the of the personal tragedy that I had. So so figure it hopefully, you know, my my goal back then and still today is people don't come into STEM out of personal tragedy, but but come from it from a passion, then funnel it into a place that that you can really make a difference and be as open as, as possible. I, in a million years, went from research in the labs into automotive, into energy. I've moved, you know, traveled the world, moved in, in different companies and in different roles. I feel bad today for young people because a lot of them come to me and they're like, my parents want me to know exactly what I want to do. I said, tell them you talk to a microbiologist who builds cars and is very successful and, and, and you know, tell, tell them it's all going to be okay. There's such a cool world. I always tell people, I kind of wish I was 20 years younger because of this huge inflection point of change is coming. And I don't ever actually intend to retire because I'm so excited about what's going on today. And so taking that boundaries that people somehow either are given by society, given by their families, given by themselves, you know, give yourself some guardrails, but go for it. Absolutely. I love that of being open and allowing experience coupled with certifications and, and creds that you probably need to get to help carry you as well. But I, I think we oftentimes, to your point, Susan, feel this burden of, you know, you go to college at 18 and you have to pick a major or you have to pick a major before you even show up. But uh, so Julia, <laughs> back over to your question. What are some of the barriers that women must overcome to achieve success in your field? 
the barrier is maybe the bias. So girls are good in languages, boys are good in math. So this is at least what I often heard in the past and sometimes today. This hurdle needs to be overcome when choosing a career in STEM. So my appeal or advice is girls, if you are interested in technology and maybe with an interest in math, there to go into the STEM field. So in Germany, we have, for instance, the Girls' Day in April, every April. So once a year, girls can get a taste of technical professions by a one-day internship. There is the same for boys in social professions. And I think this can be helpful in order to experience if STEM is something for a girl. Yeah. Would anyone else like to share any barriers that we must overcome or any barriers you've overcome? One of the common things that I hear of, and I've heard this from friends of mine in the similar profession, various tech roles, as well as kind of always being asked, what about your family and what about your work? How will you balance both? Are you sure you can do it? Will the family get neglected because you're spending so many hours in at your profession, like in, in the field of, you know, in technology? And I think some of that is just limiting beliefs, right? Because with the right support system, Anything is possible, but I think when those type of questions or, you know, decisions that people are thrown, you know, they have to make so early on in their careers too, it might discourage women from pursuing higher positions and advancing their careers. So I feel like some of those barriers and those social norms, like I think that narrative needs to change, right? The question should be more, how can we support you? As a community, how can we support you? How can we give you the flexibility? So you you can have a family life, you can have a work life, you can have kids, you can have pets, you can be a caregiver, but you could also be a great professional who enjoys and is passionate about their work and is a contributing member. I feel passionately about this, that it's like women are always made to choose and men aren't asked any of these questions. You know, I, I'm, I'm from the generation where I saw a lot of women before me not have children for exactly this reason, because they didn't feel like they could have a career. And I actually even had teachers that, you know, I was young, they were much older. Um, if you got married, you had to quit being a teacher. So, I mean, I've seen, I, I feel very passionate about this because I came of age when, you know, the sixties the and the seventies, when so many changes occurred. And today those same conversations are happening. I think they're just happening in a different way. You know, when I was in the workforce early, and I look like I was 12 and people would come up to me and say, I'm not going to work for you because you're a woman or, you know, I, I don't like working for you because you're a woman. And I knew exactly where they were coming from. They told me exactly mm -hmm. how they felt. And I had a lot of them apologize after a <laughs> while. But it was a very overt. I don't even, I don't even try to try to pick my words here, but it was a confrontational conversation. Mm -hmm. And today, I believe those same norms and, and values are still in the workplace in, in a different way and, and much less, uh, maybe much less overt. But as long as those values continue to exist in the workplace, it really, you know, I put the onus on, as I talked about, women sponsors and men sponsors and pulling women through and, and figuring out how do you work and have, now, I don't believe in work-life balance, never had it, but but other people have, you know, I also grew up very poor and didn't want it. I wanted the certainty of, of always having a paycheck. So I worked until the last day and, and gave birth and, and went back into the workplace. And what I see today, I guess my hope in all of this 
is today I don't see women working up to the last day and I don't see women coming back immediately. And I do see women coming back into the job that they left when they had a child and they still have a career. The generation I grew up in, if a man would have taken a paternity leave, I believe that would have been the end of their career too. So that wasn't even, it wasn't, I don't even think it was a term that existed, much less a a practice that would have been supported. So I, I see green shoots and I think as long as those green shoots continue to grow and get light and sunlight and are able to grow, that can break down some of those barriers. But it's it's absolutely, again, my opinion, factually, it is a barrier how you have that accordion around a 30, 40 year career, as opposed to just focused on the five years or six years or 10 years that women are having children. Work. So true what you just said. Also, like if I was seeing some of the numbers, you have about 50% of women in tech sector, they still quit their jobs at around that age 35 mark. And it for the same reason, it's because weak management support, maybe their companies just don't support that kind of an environment. And there's enough studies been done. And personally, I have gone through it just, you know, I have a young child, but I had the luxury of working for a wonderful company like cars.com, mm-hmm. which gave me a generous maternity leave. I was able to come back to such a supportive environment and, you know, ease my way back into work and that the whole team made the transition so easy. And I just want that for more women. And I think that Mm -hmm. will help encourage more women to like not quit, just having that support from their management. Yeah, I can say that the family situation really changed. So there are fathers that take parental leave as well as mothers that take parental leave. So it's not completely balanced, but I think it goes in the right direction. Okay. So on that note of hope, we have heard so many, I was jotting down themes as we all got together today. I, I jotted down just a few themes and this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. Being open, starting young, like it's it's never too early foreseeably to start with our girls in in STEM, uh, having that not only advocacy but also sponsorship. Being I mean when Gayatri when you just shared um, that that fifty percent of women step away from tech careers. I mean it's hard to advance if you take fifty percent of your population out and they can't continue to rise in in their tech careers. That really breaks my heart. But having that sponsorship and having that sense of supporting your colleagues having a community around you to make foreseeably taking some time away and coming back. I loved Susan, when you, you shared your story about professional certifications. This is not a or conversation. This is living in the land of and we need to live in the land of and, and then just acknowledging that there are still barriers and, and we through support through these, through these steps, et cetera, and awareness um, can overcome these barriers. So with that, that rounds out our formal, conversation. Does anyone have any last minute thoughts that they'd like to share with our audience before we wrap up? First, I would like to say it was great to exchange the ideas with you and to listen to your thoughts. And I'm convinced that young women need role models and should know more about STEM jobs. And I have an idea, maybe as a resolution for the new year, which just started, (laughs) because my brother is a physicist and he gave a lecture about physics at his former high school just two weeks ago. And maybe I should do the same. So my idea is to go to my former high school uh, girls high school and report about my experience in choosing a career in STEM. And as I said before, I think it's like in sports. If the next generation isn't supported, then at some point there will be a lack of young talents. Absolutely. This, yeah. Thank you, my... Julia. Yeah, and Lisa, I want to thank you for 
for getting all this together. And I really do hope that the people who listen to this learn something about women who have been in the workplace for a continuum. And if there's something that they gain from this, that they apply it. But I do hope that they go back and view themselves as sponsors in the workforce, no, what, no matter what level they are mm-hmm. in the workplace. You may not be able to influence today, but think of yourself as a sponsor or a support person for other women who are in the workplace. And then to, to Julia's point, I'll put in a plug for anybody that wants to join or support Southern Automotive Women's Forum, because that's our, our goal is to be role models. It's focused on a very narrow part of the world, young girls in the and women in the, in the Southeast United States. But there are so many organizations like that where it's really sweat equity. And when you put that sweat equity in, you make a huge difference in the world. Absolutely. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for such a great conversation and everyone just sharing your stories, allowing me to share my stories. The only thing I would just again keep keep saying is it's best for us to lead by example, right? And to actually help make a difference in our own communities, you know, whether it's with our daughters and nieces at home, whether it's, you know, being involved in organizations. But I think it's important that if these are topics that we can help make a difference from our own experience, that we should actually be out there trying to make a difference in a more practical way, mentoring, showing the example to younger girls. I would sort of leave with that. Thank you. And that wraps up today's podcast. I hope that you have enjoyed the first party candor from Susan Brennan, Julia Gerke, Gayatri Shinoy, uh, and myself today on the Sphere and Now ESG podcast. We hope that you have a fantastic International Day of Women and Girls in Science this coming February 11th, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Sphere and Now ESG podcast on Spark. We hope you enjoyed the show. Want more safety, sustainability, and productivity-related blogs and podcasts? Subscribe to Spark today. Visit sphere.com backslash spark and let's spark a conversation.